0: Martial
1: arts. You can't be done talking to me, you're right here facing <laughs> me, dummy.
0: You couldn't draw money with a green crayon and a white piece of paper. Conceive, believe, achieve. Shut the f up. <laughs> Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck! This is number one bullshit.
1: They can only count to five. <laughs>
0: hey, pussy, are you still there?
1: I beat you after a weekend of cocaine. That's fucking illegal.
0: Are you intoxicated? I'm not impressed by your performance. I'm not here to take part. I'm here to take
1: over. We are live, coming to you from the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Extra MMA, episode number 39. Today on the show, Cena and I, Andrew, we're joined by the one, the only, chosen one, Juan Adams. Juan Adams is a former UFC fighter, and he currently fights with the fight promotion, Aries Fighting. We really enjoyed this interview. We hope you enjoy it. And hey, share it with a friend.
2: Uh, How's quarantine life been for you, Juan? Well, it has been brutal. Um, You're telling me. (laughs) First off, I hate it. I had like, I had gotten a job because my, I was, like, bouncing at this club, and then the club shut down. So I was like, oh, that, that sucks. I've been trying to, like, deliver shit, but people piss me off too much. So I don't know if I can be doing all that. <laughs> but, um, no, it, it really didn't affect my life all that much. I don't hang out with people. Um, Relatable. Outside, outside, of my, like, outside of my circle at the gym anyway. Like, I, I spend most of my time in the gym. I, I wake up. Go downstairs, practice, and come back. Yeah. So all that it really affected it, it threw off my training schedule a lot. Uh, I gained like 30 pounds, and uh, <laughs> I, I dropped I dropped I dropped 10 of them. I dropped 10 uh, of them. I, I so you
1: know,
2: we're in progress. We're in progress. But, we're uh, cultivating
1: mass, baby. That's what it sounds like. Getting stronger. <laughs>
2: so um, so that was it. It just really threw off the training schedule. Um, you know, uh, it's expensive to run a gym, especially with people living in the gym. And, you know, them not being able to bring in revenue because the states are shut down, it was, it was rough. You, what, what about quarantine's brutal? Is it like
0: a oh, loss of direction? Not direction. <laughs>
2: that, you know, it's not that brutal for me because I've used the time to really grow as a person. Uh, I do a lot of reflection and, and things like that. Um, I signed up for master masterclass. Uh, I've been doing things like that. I wrote that think piece, um, that open letter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about that, you know. yeah. So I've done these things and I used it as a time for growth. A lot of people were just bored. They didn't know really what to do with themselves. Uh, the loss of income was really hard for a lot of people. Luckily I had savings, um, but you know, it's what this all started in uh, end of March. It's end yeah, of May. about May now, and so I learned that you know my three months didn't last. My three month savings <laughs> did not last three months. It was, uh, <sighs> but uh, no. So that that part was brutal, and I, I think this sheer just just panic and, and and I hate to say stupidity, but that that's what it no, was maybe, of a yeah. lot of of a lot of people because you know there's people out here freaking out about this and it's I don't call like I'm, I'm sorry I can't classify this as a serious threat with something with a 0.2% death rate I just can't do it um, and you know my thoughts on everything is you know accountability for your actions. So if I go out there and I catch it, like, no, I'm not going to do anything to spread it to other people, but I accept that. Okay. I was wrong. If I died from that. Okay, fine. I was wrong. But, um, but there's, there's a lot of people out here just being dumb. You know, it it was really lethal to people with pre-existing conditions is what it is. And some of those you're born with, but a lot of the stuff on that list is preventable. Um, and, You know, again, what I think would have been a better strategy for this is to, you know, isolate the people that are at risk. The rest of the population, you you should probably allow to go out and and build up an immunity to this. You know, there's a whole I mean scientific community, these are proven things. Herd immunity is a proven thing. Building up antibodies for it is a proven thing. And that only happens when you let things run its course. You have to let nature take its course. One positive aspect of all this, you know, there is a lot of people that I've seen that have done a lot of growth through all this. There's also... You know, a lot, a big rise in depression, you know, um, what out do you here. Think about
0: yeah. that? What do you think about that, Juan? Because you're right, you just hit on the nose. There's a huge rise in depression. Do you think that's actual <laughs> depression, or do you think that's what I was saying earlier? Just a loss of direction okay, and people yeah. not being able to handle it and making excuses?
2: I i feel like it, it, it's actual depression. You know, um, there's different types of depression. There's situational, there's chronic yeah. depression. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, you go. Throughout your day, you build up your day, your routine, and, and that is a coping mechanism. It's a coping yeah, method, mechanism in response yeah. to the stress of your home life, the stress of your everyday life. So when that, those mechanisms are taken away, it forces a lot of people to face the reality that, oh, you know, my home life really isn't as awesome as it appears to be. Um, you know, oh, and that, that's not even to mention the people that are in, you know, abusive relationships at home children in abusive homes, things like that. Um, So, you know, those people go home and they're having to deal with that. There's a rising depression from that. Then you have the people that would normally be working that aren't now that, you know, are some of them are the main provider in their family. So now they can't provide that security for their own family. So you, you see those those things rise and then there's other people that you know are, are starting to develop unhealthy habits during this. They've got money saved up or they're working from home or they've had um, they're getting more money from unemployment than they were making during work and you see these people over here, you know, they start what do they start doing? They start drinking, they start doing recreational drugs, they start engaging in these activities that they otherwise wouldn't be doing and that you know that not only affects them that affects the people around them as well
1: let me uh let me interject real quick because uh juan you know you see you're so open about uh dealing with depression anxiety and you know i think it really helps when professional athletes just people in the public sphere are able to talk about that yeah uh have you always been this way have you always been able to be so open about this type of stuff or is this kind of something you've developed as you've grown older
2: um, you know, it's something I developed probably right uh, right when I started going to therapy again in college is when I kind of just developed a, more of an open um, a, ability to be vulnerable with people to an extent. Obviously, sure. I'm not going to bear my, my deepest, darkest secrets to a bunch of strangers. But for me, I know that when I was younger and when I was first dealing with these things, you know, there was a huge stigma on going to therapy. There was a huge stigma of acknowledging that you know you did deal with depression that you did deal with anxiety and it was viewed as this type of uh this this fatal flaw and it's not like you know it is I view it as a flaw for me and it's something I want to work on but I also know that I would have started working on this stuff a lot sooner if there had been someone in my position when I was younger that I looked up to that had talked about it that was open about it that was you know that People could look at it and say it's successful to a degree, but still dealt with all of these things. You know, you don't have to be some type of superhuman person or some, have this, like, iron fortitude within yourself to go and 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 seek help or to acknowledge that, you know, you don't have all the answers.
0: Yeah, I think that's something I've struggled with, uh, to be honest with you guys. Uh, you just nailed it on the nose, like the iron fortitude within yourself, you know. I I sometimes have too much pride. I guess I don't like admitting this to tell people my personal problems. I don't like looking really? at me, to be honest with you. To be honest with you. Yeah. And this whole quarantine shit honestly some days like uh, I was just telling Andrew you really get in your head. You really are just like yeah. you know,
2: Absolutely. Like, fuck fuck fuck. Cuz you're course. stuck there alone with your thoughts like yeah. all day. So just sitting there and for me i'm a i'm a pretty introspective person to begin with but you know there were times i got really low and it's not to the point where like i want to kill myself it's to the point where like i don't want to fucking exist anymore like i don't want to be here i don't want to be here but you know
0: tomorrow like there's like no not to sound morbid but it's like you don't have any hope
2: for me at least right right so um yeah, and, you know, that. so that ability to be open with it from someone that, like, is, is viewed as, you know, strong within the computer community or successful within the community, when people can see that and say, oh, you know, he deals with this. But, you know, to this day, I still have strength records in my college. Um, you know, I'm still, you know, I, I, there's stuff built to me in my high school. I'm in a little display case there. So when people That's see cool. that and then they go and they look my name up, and they see that there's all these interviews, it's cataloged of me talking about this stuff and me being open about this stuff. I feel like that can give somebody else hope.
1: I can agree. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, how has, I, I saw on uh, social media that you just recently made the move uh, full-time to Jackson Wink and uh, being in Albuquerque. I, uh, I have family from New Mexico in the Albuquerque area, so I'm kind of familiar with that area. Uh, how is kind of making that move Kind of right on top of this whole global pandemic, on top of what's going on in the country. Man. How how is dealing with all of that during this so uncertain times, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it was very uncertain. It was uh, it was a really it was rough. And first off, that drive from Houston to Albuquerque, you know, <laughs> it's brutal. But you know. That move was uh, it was hard to do because uh, you know, first off, Houston is it's a place of a lot of pain for me right now. You know, I feel like the last two or three things that I really tried for in Houston uh, failed spectacularly. Um, one of which was on pay per view, and that that sucked. And so right. there's a lot of, there was some uh, some shame I was dealing with for a while, but. You know when i went up there i spent four days in houston or five five or six days in houston actually and i didn't tell anyone i was there i told my closest friends my coaches i saw them i saw my family uh i packed all my stuff and (laughs) threw it in a u-haul and drove back out here um very unceremonious very uneventful but it was uh it was good man it it was really awesome just making that drive because no one was on the road so honestly it was probably one of the easiest times i've ever done that drive sure but you know you drive and you know you see the fear in people uh from you know houston all the way to albuquerque you stop in each city and you know some people aren't afraid of it at all some people are overly afraid of it um And I I see both sides of it. You don't want to do anything to transmit it to somebody else that might come in, might then come into contact with someone that is at risk. Uh, Myself personally, I schedule my day around minimal human interaction to begin with. So (laughs) um, like, so I, it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't really affect me all that much. You know, I go places at times of the day when most other people are at work so that's actually probably what pissed me off most about quarantine is like all these other i'm like damn none of these motherfuckers got jobs now so they just out here out here they out here in my time like i don't like this shit so that sucked
0: <laughs> uh juan really quickly you said uh, that you had to deal with shame from houston i was just wondering how did you deal with that shame like mentally how'd you overcome that barrier
2: you know, um, shame is one of those things that it, it will eat you alive does, and you kind of you have to you have to redefine it in your mind. So the, the source of that shame, you have to look at it as opposed to um, well, there's actually a book I read on this uh, by Brene Brown. Um, you know, you have to reclassify it as something bad happened or I did something bad but that does not mean I am bad and that that little distinction right there you know say okay for me it was okay I failed in this task but I am not a failure right um so that's that's kind of how I dealt with it and that's how I worked through it and that's part of that you know 2 a.m. stuff I talk
1: mm-hmm. about that 2 a.m. stuff right you are so very right? Just in this little, I mean, not even 15 minutes we've been speaking. You're so clear headed. You're so very rational in what you're talking about. Um, right. This quarantine is a perfect time to kind of get into that deep 2am stuff as you like to put on social media. Um, I feel like you've kind of already discussed the value of kind of that process, but is there any sort of that 2am stuff that you're willing to share with us right now? And totally understandable if you don't want to, of course. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, you know, um, right before my fight. girl i've been dating for like a year almost a year and a half and i i I ended up breaking up with her new year's new year's morning um and you know we were still kind of going back and forth back and forth and this the quarantine stuff put a strain on her being in houston me being in new mexico when i decided to sign that six-month lease in new mexico that put a damper on it as well and um You know it made me confront a lot of the the issues that her and i were having and uh made me own up to a lot of the stuff that i was doing on my end that i was in the wrong with so um i say this because everybody's dealt with breakups right so for, for me it took a lot of um you know i reread uh the book ego is the enemy I reread a lot of stuff on neuro linguistic programming, not just in how I speak to other people, but how I speak to myself. And you know, at those times when you can't sleep at night and everything is is coming up, and you find yourself, you look over, it's two, three o'clock in the morning. Well, I don't have to feel guilty about not being asleep because nothing's going on. But for me, I had to sit there and and you know really address where I was wrong. And really look at my life and look at the things that I'm not happy about in my life and isolate the variables that, one, I was in control of, and two, uh, one, one of the variables that I'm in control of, and two, the things that are coming about as a result of my own actions or my own failures or my own shortcomings. <laughs> and you sit there, you talk about it, and for me, it's as simple as, you know, it'll pop into my head. I'll reflect on it for five, ten minutes. I'll go. I'll read an article. I'll go. I'll yeah. Google. I'll read a study on something else that was dealing with that. Then I'll watch a YouTube video on how someone else copes with it. Now I try and apply that to myself. And uh, usually, about you know forty-five minutes into that, I'm asleep, so it accomplishes. <laughs> but uh, totally. then I, I wake up in the morning feeling a lot better with a new outlook on things, and I try and apply that to that day moving forward
0: uh juan i gotta ask you something uh because we're talking about all this deep stuff uh 2am stuff all this stuff ever since quarantine ended you know honestly you all three of us can agree this has probably been i'm not going to say it's the worst because you know i I can't define worse than best but it's been the most unique year of our lives um a lot of troubling things have happened Um, what do you make i know we're in the midst of a pandemic and i just i want to address this as much as possible on my shows and I know you've been very vocal on it on social media about the issues going on with uh, George Floyd. I just want to know what's your opinion, because Andrew and I cannot relate as much as you were. I don't want to sound ignorant.
2: Right. So, you know, the stuff of George Floyd, it, it hits home because um, he was he grew up in the same neighborhood as me. Right. Uh, right. Uh, Third Ward. Yeah. Third Ward, Houston, Texas. It's it's where I'm 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 from, essentially. And. It's hard because a lot of people see me and they don't picture me from that area. And that's because, you know, I, from a very young age, was was pretty much socially separated from that group of people because of uh, the educational opportunities provided through me uh, as a result of my mom being so dedicated to it, you know. I tested into the magnet program of a school closer to the med center okay. which is very uh a very affluent area of Houston and so I got a better education at at that moment right mm-hmm. then in middle school I went to a, it's te- it was technically a public school but you had to apply to get into it at the time it was a vanguard and gifted and talented school so I went there and then for high school you know based okay. off of my test results on the entrance exam of that I got a it was like a eighty five percent scholarship to a a private high school and, oh, wow. and, yeah, so you know that and then I got a a wrestling scholarship for college, so i um but you know i even with all that happening, you know, I recognize that there's been times <laughs> where I've been pulled over, i've been unjustly accused of things, and I've been unjustly held by police officers now. Luckily for me, I've never spent the night in jail. I've never done any of that other stuff. But I look at, at someone like George Floyd. He's a uh, 6'6", over 200-pound guy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's scary to a lot of people. And what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, every black youth in America can pretty much relate to this. But being right around the time when you get to almost adult stature, you have that talk with your parents or your guardians about how, you have to interact, not only with police officers, but to people not of your race to become, to feel, to make them feel less threatened, right? So for me, I was 11 years old. I was five, six, 160 at 11 years old, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Jesus, that's when, that's when my mom had that talk with me. And so from that point on, I knew that, yeah, I'm only 11, 12 years old i'm thinking i'm a kid i'm thinking i'm just like everyone else but that day like it shaped everything moving forward because i knew that i can't do what other kids do right so you know when i'm going out and you know how high school kids are especially you know rich high school kids they don't they don't give a crap about anything you know we be we be driving i'd be driving or riding with my friend i'd be riding with my friends they're throwing stuff out yeah, the window. Like saying, they're like on out, like breaking breaking mailboxes and shit like that. And I know, like I can't I can't be seen doing any of that stuff because I know what's going to happen. Sure. And a lot of the times, I'm one of the you know one of the one or one to three black kids in the group of ten fifteen. But I know what's going to happen. and by the time I'm fourteen, you know. As I'm turning 14, at that point, I had a growth spurt from 5'9 to 6'3. Jesus. And I went from, I went from what being 5'9, 160 to 6'3, 230 and in the span of three that, months. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, at that point, I know that there's a lot, just a lot of shit that I personally cannot do. And it's frustrating because, you know, the, as a black man in America, you, a lot of people don't realize you can be doing nothing wrong like I can do things that wouldn't even put me in suspicion of being wrong yet it's always a risk for me you know a routine traffic stop I have to post on Facebook saying hey I got pulled over here I'm not resisting if I don't make it just know something went wrong you do that I I I yeah I make that post Right. And you don't understand, like for me, at every point in my life, I've done everything that society would deem as good. And to still be treated like some kid from the hood under suspicion because somebody else is uncomfortable or somebody else is afraid, it makes no sense to me. And it's something that, that needs to be changed. And what a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, I said that this needs to be fought on three fronts. But there's another yeah. aspect of it that nobody's even thinking about. You know, they're saying, well, you know, if you don't act like a thug, you have nothing to be afraid of. But what you don't understand is, you know, there are differences in the level of education of people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, yeah. even even publicly provided ones. You know, what's the first thing families say when they're going to buy a house? house oh, school district. I want to I want to move somewhere that has yeah. a good school district. Right. And, you know, from there, those opportunities, the connections you make in those circles open up other doors of opportunity Mm -hmm. moving forward. And people don't realize that, you know, if I hadn't gone to the elementary school that I went to, I wouldn't have known about the middle school that that I ended up going to. From there, I wouldn't have known about the high school that I went to. I went to a very prestigious high school in Houston. I wouldn't have known about that. If I hadn't gone there, if I had gone to my zone school... That, that school doesn't have wrestling. That school didn't have an academic challenge quiz bowl team. That school didn't have a lot of the things that I was exposed to at my high school. And if I hadn't been exposed to the things I was in high school, I would have never made it. Uh, I might've gone sure. to college, but I wouldn't have been wrestling in college. I wouldn't have had a scholarship. I wouldn't have known how to succeed in college based off of any of that. So and, and that, from that experience that a lot of people don't ever get, a lot of people from these less fortunate socioeconomic backgrounds, they don't get these experiences. And they then don't go on to get the good jobs. They don't go on to meet the connections that get them seats in government, right? Mm-hmm. So then that, that lack of educational opportunity translates almost directly, if not directly, secondary or tertiarily, sure. it becomes a lack of representation when it it comes to power, right? And that's the frustration that you're seeing in these people right now because you look and it's, it's very disheartening to constantly be seeing these State of the Union addresses or any type of government address to everyone else of a bunch of people up there completely disconnected, not only from society in general, but especially disconnected from your reality trying to make rules and governances on how i should be living my life and then people don't understand that and then on top of all that when the people that they appoint in the power are killing us seemingly indiscriminately and with zero repercussions for any of their actions it makes you feel like you your life really does not matter your life has been marginalized and people don't realize that for years just in my lifetime i'm only 28 years old but the last five six years of my life i feel that the yeah my life does not matter
0: i actually agree with that that's what i've learned recently is i thought that same thing to myself this year is wow i think i'm the shit but like life my life is completely meaningless like i could this could just be a simulation i'm just an ant in the water or in the on this planet
2: Right. And what people don't understand is when there's years of that and it transcends generations. So it, it years become decades, become generations, become, you know, centuries to almost millennia. Like, it, it yeah, you feel hopeless. So your only answer is, like, you, you know, you want change. Right. And yeah. what has what has the world been shaped by? Whether people want to acknowledge it or not, the world is shaped by war. Okay, not yeah. only not only the physical ramifications of war, but the economic ramifications of it, the political ramifications of it, and it, it really, it literally shapes countries.
0: Uh, Juan, well, question, you just said change. Um, this is actually the shitty thing about this situation is, I'm not gonna sit here and say there's not gonna be change. I do think, I have faith in our humanity, but do you think there will be change? And if you do, how do you think we can uh, expedite that process and get it to happen faster.
2: You know, I saw a stat the other day, this is the first time in, in the history of the United States that all 50 states have marched or protested against something. So that's the start of change, you know, it, and people say, you know, I, for the record, no, I don't agree with riots, but I understand them. And I'm not going to yeah. fault somebody for doing whatever it takes to get a reaction. Because you noticed when Kaepernick was kneeling, when people were doing these silent yeah. protests, results didn't happen. Were but, as soon, but as soon as people start breaking shit, that got a reaction really quickly. That got almost immediate legislative. So legislation. Do, you, do, you so,
0: do you think that's real, Juan, because I saw videos all over Twitter of people saying cops have been burning their own cars, putting bricks in places to stage these protests.
2: And, you know, man, that, that plays into another thing. And that's a and different phenomenon. Oh, that's a different phenomenon altogether, because we do live in, a, in an era of sensationalism. Right. Yeah. And everybody wants to feel important. And it's the first time yeah. ever, everyone literally everyone has a platform so you're doing shit for attention and you don't really mean it okay so i scrolled my instagram yesterday and you know for the record i've, I've encountered racism at, at pretty much every point in my life all right you know as I was a six five black guy at a private school where at the oh, yeah. time less than less than 10 percent of the kids there were black Sure. Like there were there were times I would sit at football practice. I'm sitting at football practice and half of the freshman football team saying "nig" and the other half of it saying girl and they're making a chant of it going back and forth. What the fuck? Right. Is foul, right. Dude. I remember I remember beating the living crap out of kids for calling me that sure. only for them yeah. to get up and say, what are you going to do next, nigger? Like, that, you don't. people don't realize that type of stuff.
0: So that's foul, Loki. I did not. expect. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. And and it's ridiculous. So I'm scrolling and I'm seeing these people that have done all these things and they're trying to show solidarity now, which is commendable. Right. Do I agree with Blackout Tuesday? No, no. I don't. Not at all. But why not? Can you touch it, on that? Um, OK, so the, the reason I don't agree with it. Right. And it's not because I think it's a bad cause, but just the very the it, it's. It doesn't make sense because the purpose of it is, right, I've seen a lot of different breakdowns of it of what you're actually supposed to do, but it was originally founded by Black female musicians to stop consuming mainstream mainstream product and consume their music instead for that one day to raise awareness for that music and, uh, you know, hopefully provide those opportunities to other Black female musicians right? It became this thing where let's not purchase anything for that day. Let's not consume social media, blah, 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 all this other stuff. But you don't realize you're saying you're not going to consume anything that day, or you're not going to go out and buy products, but you're doing it on one of the largest social platforms in the world, the largest social platform in the Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. How, so, so you're doing that, and you're increasing you're increasing web traffic on Instagram and Facebook. How do Instagram and Facebook make money? By ads. Yeah. Right? So you're not only being, you're increasing their their um their web traffic, you're increasing the revenue that they're gonna then make from ads. And if you're not gonna be buying anything there, you end up buying shit online, that that makes no sense. So you're now sitting at home all day or allegedly sitting there all day doing nothing. And you're just scrolling Instagram, scrolling Facebook. You put a little picture up there to see how many, you know, maybe you are down with the cost, whatever. I'm not saying any of that. If you want to draw attention to social injustice, go for it. But I'm seeing a lot of this stuff doing it solely for that validation of themselves.
1: Sure. That's
2: my, and that, and that was my issue with it. And I think that, you know, on one hand, like, yes, it is raising awareness, fine. But then there's people using the wrong hashtags with it, all this other stuff, and messing up the algorithm for actual use, the the dissemination of actually useful knowledge. And that's, that was my issue with it.
0: My, My problem with it as well is I think... Like a lot of people is great that they're speaking on this issue, but, and I'm coming from a, I'm gonna go ahead and say this, I'm Persian. I know I have white skin, I'm Persian. I had um, a very bad run in with the cops myself uh, within the last year, year and a half. And then my dad was actually on trial. He's straight Persian from Iran, on trial for five, six years. He was on trial for an altercation with a cop because he was racially profiled. So I, I, you know, but I kept this to myself. because it's not really that big of a deal. Um, I just have my problem with it is so many people are speaking out of ignorance like it's not their place to speak. And I'm not saying white people because I appreciate just like you said, I agree with what you said. I just don't think a lot of these people and I I know I just like you said, great job that you're standing up for a good cause. But it's not your place to speak like that. Like you've never encountered anything like that.
2: And my thing is this. It it doesn't even matter if it's your place or not. But speaking from an from a place of ignorance, if you're not knowledgeable on something, yeah, there we go. Don't don't fucking talk about it, man, because you're doing a disservice not only to yourself, but to that cause, because someone's going to hear you saying a bunch of dumb shit that doesn't relate. And then they're going to have a sour taste towards that cause. Mm -hmm. And and that's my issue. Like my biggest thing, the reason I don't post as many opinions on shit now is because I recognize that if I'm not educated enough to have an opinion on something, I'm not going to speak it. I'm going to do some research and figure out stuff, take in information and then form a view on it. And that view is open to change at any moment, yeah. but you have to be willing to do the work, man. You can't just show up. And then that's a big issue with a lot of these, these people talking and, you know, I'm not an elitist, right? I'm not going to look at someone and just be like, Oh, this idiot. Like, you know, if I see an, a, some chick that just makes money by showing her ass on Instagram start talking about this stuff. I'm like, you know what? I don't know your background. Whatever, you did the research. If the facts check out, good on you. But don't just go out here spewing bullshit to increase traffic, to increase the attention that you're gonna get, because that's the most. I mean,
0: disrespectful. shit. it, it,
2: it it's not only the dis- it, it's disrespectful on one hand, but on I have to laugh on the other because I mean. If, that's I mean that's some Generation X, Y, Z millennial shit if I ever heard of it. It right? is the most, and it's funny. I mean, it's funny on one hand of I me, mean, but it's 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 sad and it's really, you know, it, it's disheartening to see so many people so uninformed because you live in a time when there's more access to information than ever before. There's no Max. reason. There's no reason at all to speak from an uneducated point of view about yeah. anything. Yeah. So that, that's, that's my stance on that.
1: I, uh, it's, incredi- not, it's not incredible, right? Because I just think for a lot of professional fighters, I don't think most people have this expectation for someone to come off as so nuanced about such a, I don't know, delicate, not delicate issue, but complicated issue, right? Like you said. And I, I that's very... Commendable, and that's impressive, and that's something I admire to be like. So, thank you for sharing your thoughts. So,
0: I have one more thing. Well, eloquently,
1: yeah. I have one more thing to say to both you guys. What
0: do you guys think in terms of the police? I saw this on Twitter that it would be required to become a police officer. You need a college degree. Do you think that would? I think.
2: I think no. I I think that's actually like quite elitist because you know if you're becoming a cop and you and you want to serve right and you want to serve you're doing it from that place of i want to protect the people yes. that's that like i'm all for that as long as you get the proper training my issue is with the training right it's not we our our police officers in the u.s aren't trained as guardians they're trained as enforcers they are yeah. the arm of the law okay so it's, it's not in there to it's, it protects the people in a sense, but they're there to uphold the law. They're not there to protect people. That's it. That's it. That's it. At the at the end of the day, they are taught that it's it's upholding the law. So it's an enforcer mentality as opposed to a guardian mentality, right? If you go to the UK, their cops don't have guns. That's crazy, right? You look at all these other other countries kind of demilitarizing the police, yeah. right? And there's Huge. things that people don't even notice that our our police forces greatly become just a, a weapon of the law at this point. You look and it's something that is as simple as uh the changes in uniforms and the changes in their vehicles, right? Cop cars used to be what? Blue. Blue, green, beige, whatever, yeah. but like they had the lights on it. Now they're becoming more and more subtle, they're becoming more black and white, and all the uniforms look the same across all the states. Like, that should be a flag to some people, right? And uh, you know, it's just the, the, like I said before, the police force is becoming more and more militarized.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Right, right. and and police unions kind of protect them and allow them to get away with that, right? They're negotiating contracts with these cities, and they're exactly what you were saying, right, they're negotiating Aspects of the contracts that allow them to basically get away with legal things that wouldn't be proper or normal for an average citizen such as you and I, but they have qualified immunity, for example. So how do they stop, How
0: do we get them to stop doing this shit? Because my only thinking was, if they go in a college classroom like us three have, and like Juan, you, not many fighters. I'd say ninety nine percent of fighters don't have like don't have this level of education. Like a lot of people don't. I was going to ask you, like, you don't think that uh, putting a cop through college and understanding the world and putting them through English class, liberal, art, liberal arts classes may help them or no?
2: I, I don't think it needs to be that specific. I think they should be trained in more of a classroom type setting, okay. but I don't think it necessarily needs to be defined as college because yeah. at, at college there's, there's requirements to get into there. Okay. Right. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is these checks and balances and, and prerequisites that you have to have, to get into certain jobs, it's designed to create socioeconomic schisms within the people and it divides the people and it forces them to become classist and elitist. Okay. Like there was, a time, there was a time in my life where I just got so frustrated. I've made statements like, all right, yeah, if you wanna disagree with me on Facebook, fine, but I'm not gonna answer you unless you have a college degree. Like that's an asinine statement. <laughs> Like that's, that is an asinine statement, right? But that's how I, that's how I thought about things now. And now like, I, I feel it sometimes even so when I, when people try and argue with me on points like this or try to debate me on points like this, I, I feel like it's almost beneath me trying to explain to them or trying to educate all these people on all these things because my thoughts sometimes are like, my education costs a lot of money. But why do I need to disseminate that to you for free? Like, I didn't go to school to become a teacher. I didn't go to school to become an educator, right? I got a degree in computer science because my thoughts were, all right, if, you know, whatever I want to do doesn't work out, I can fall back on that, get an IT job and make a decent living.
1: Yeah, super smart.
2: But that, so in... in, Now, like, as as I've grown and evolved and and grown as a person, like, I understand that all I can do is is provide information, help someone interpret it if they ask me. If they don't ask me, great. But, you know, it's one of those things where you have to kind of recognize when things fall upon deaf ears and people need to realize that the point of an argument, the point of a disagreement isn't always to win. It's right. too, un- you you have to understand. And there's a lot of people that are so obstinate in their beliefs right now that they refuse to take in new knowledge and they refuse to learn.
1: True. Especially now. Yeah. Man, Juan, I feel like you're dropping some big brother bombs of knowledge on me and Cena right <laughs> yeah. now, dude. It's straight up. <laughs> uh, so I saw Aries fighting signed you an hour after you released from the UFC. That's that's incredible dude what can you kind of describe what that felt like and did they right. offer so, you any story oh yeah go ahead go ahead sorry
2: so like the way that happened was like i was um i kind of knew i wasn't getting recent i wasn't necessarily released i fought out my contract with the ufc gotcha okay and for two or three days after my fight we're just like all right well are y'all gonna offer me another contract or not and you no, know, I spoke to Mick and, and Dana, and they're just like, nah, like not right now. Um, and, you know, I know what I have to do to get back there, but right. that's besides the point. So, you know, for about a day, I just kind of sat there and processed the information, and how I almost feel? how did that feel, Juan? That day, it didn't like that day sucked because it felt like I failed. You know, it was a failure on my part, and it wasn't a failure on my coaches or anything like that. Like I failed to execute. Sure. right mm-hmm. and it's so funny because uh you know I talked to my corner afterwards and they're like yeah you know one of them's like hey should we have him go for a takedown yet and they're like no nah, let's wait it out another 20 or 30 seconds and then that's, that's when i got hit so it's um it's just a it's a failure in execution on my part but i knew like if that's when those what ifs, that was the day of what ifs, you know. What if, you know, that decision hadn't been a robbery in Canada? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, I had stuck to the game plan against Greg Hardy? What if, you know, I hadn't fucked up, you know, three days ago? You know, and that that was rough for me, but then I said, you know, I had the decision of, you know, just kind of letting people find out on their own, like, oh yeah, he's not with the UFC anymore, there's no fights. Or I could just own it and say, hey, you know, I'm no longer with the UFC. Uh, It's not the end of my fight journey. I do look forward to fighting again. I just don't know where, but there's still work to be done, and it doesn't change the process. So I said something to that extent, and an hour later, I I tweeted it. And an hour later is when the Aries president tweeted, uh, sent me a message on Twitter. We got everything rolling from there. They, they submitted an offer instantly. And then from that point, it was just having uh, my legal team go over it, my mentors. I sat and I talked with all of my mentors, everyone that I look up to in the fight game. I sat there and I talked with them about this decision. It took me three weeks to sign the contract because, you know, it was almost too good to be true. So um, that's how that that's how that came about.
1: That's that's uh, that's incredible. Did they? The, you said it was almost too good to be true. Did they offer any sort of cool perks or opportunities that you can speak about that may not have been as possible to happen at the UFC or anything?
2: Right. So uh, one of the really big things was, um, you know, they they kind of view me as a brand ambassador, and that's it, awesome. it means that like I might be able to go and do some commentary things do appearances and, and things exactly. like that really really be an attraction for that company and it's a young company and like with the ufc no i wasn't going to get that because i had a losing record like i i wasn't i wasn't a star with the ufc so i and it was going to take a long a much longer time to get that but now i get to have some of that experience going over there and on top of all that you know I get to build my brand in a different part of the world, but that was, that was really big to me is, uh, it's Africa, Belgium and France right now, which is really cool. And that's places that I didn't, I wasn't going to get to travel with the UFC Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're, they're probably, they're going to be the first promotion to run an MMA event in France that that's huge that's awesome so it yeah. allows me to be a part of history and um you know that that was really cool for me at this point it's more about building a brand getting experience going over there and really you know traveling and and growing in my career um you know there's not many people that can say eight fights in they were fighting you know on a on a pay-per-view on the to be in the featured bout on a pay per view. Totally. There's not a lot of people that can say that. So, um, but you know, there's also the other side of that is like I didn't deliver, and uh, now I get to go and and kind of grow again and start over and rediscover the passion of the sport and you know fall in love with the training again, the process. So, uh,
0: Juan, really quickly, uh, very commendable because I've honestly been I've been really looking into Aries Fighting Championship myself. Um, I've actually <clears throat> been looking into a lot of MMA promotions. Um, it's no secret, you know, the, my, my guy I look up to in sports is Dana White. So I've always like, that's why it, what motivated me to start this podcast was, you know, I do want to create a platform, uh, to one day work with an MMA promotion. I was going to ask you, what do you think about Aries fighting championship compared to other organized, smaller organizations like PFL, Bellator, uh, one FC, do you find it comparable and on that level? Do you or are you really happy with the organization? Is what I'm trying to say.
2: Uh, I'm extremely happy with the organization. You got to take into account they've only done one event, mm-hmm. but they're making big waves. And you know, one FC and RISING kind of have the East on lock. UFC, yeah. Bellator, and uh, PFL are kind of the, the modern West, or um, you know the North America. Yeah, Yeah, North America's they've they've got a lock on that. For this company to come about, find an untapped market, and really grow in that untapped market is is something that I find amazing and commendable.
1: Are there any specific places? I know uh, you mentioned, I believe, uh, Belgium, France, and Africa. Are there any specific places within those countries that you're looking forward to getting to fight or anything, or just visiting?
2: Yeah, you know, um, Johannesburg is, is... Pretty awesome in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Uh, I've never been to Brussels. That'll be cool. You know, if I do get to fight in France, I'm definitely right. gonna find a way to get to Paris. Uh, you know, get some get some baguettes or something over there.
1: Find some romance. <laughs> yeah. I don't know
2: about all that. Yeah. <laughs> all, 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 all about the all about the fighting right now. Yeah. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. uh, but you know, so that those are things that I'm really looking forward to.
0: Um, one, so you just mentioned that, you know, I'm very, actually, I always, uh, impressed with people's accountability. You just, uh, blatantly said, you know, you didn't execute. Then you know that to be, you know, you said that to yourself, that that was the problem. What number one, how can you be? So how are you so comfortable admitting that to yourself, like openly to yourself? And then number two, what are you going to do just for future reference to try and avoid those same problems?
2: You know, uh, I'm just going to put in and get more reps in honestly. Um, You know, and I've kind of changed my mentality when I train now. You know, before I trained, I I didn't want to hurt my training partners. I didn't want to be that guy in the room that's just going, you know, balls to the wall when we're just drilling. But, you know, I have to make competitions for myself within every practice now. Mm -hmm. I have to consistently put myself in that state of mind. So when it comes time to fight, I don't have to try and flip a switch. I don't have to try and get myself amped up or pumped up to do anything. And uh I can be open with it because, you know, I feel that it's all freak occurrences, man. I honestly feel that, you know, I beat anyone on the planet nine times out of ten. And, you know, they they just got lucky three times in a row. That's that's how I view it right now. And that's um, you know, and I yeah, I was off. I didn't execute. I rushed game plans. I didn't stick to the game plan, but I just have to make sure that you know every sparring session I have to have a game plan, so I get used to going in there with an objective and accomplishing that objective time and time and time again until it becomes second nature. Okay, that was dope.
1: That was that really was incredible. That. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, do you? Do you have an opponent set, and does do you have any semblance of a date? I know you uh, I have weird, right,
2: right? one, I saw one of your stories. Yeah, yeah. So they're saying, um, they're saying right now it'll be like end of January. We have not agreed on an opponent yet, or okay. uh, even necessarily a place, because the promotion sure. has been okay. shut down due to COVID. So uh, when they get back to work and and they they tell me a, a place and a time and a contract is sent, I will announce it asap i have
0: one question by the way juan did you see because you said looters did you see john jones uh grab the two spray cans from the looters on that video that went viral on instagram
2: yeah and And, uh uh, you know i actually we actually went to a a march out here i was in john's group that we went out (laughs) to the march and i didn't want to be like filmed or anything i didn't take my i didn't even take my phone with me so i went out there and once i like you could tell that nobody was there really to be. Band, like vandalizing sure. stuff. I think they they found there's like 40 of us or mm-hmm. not 40, I mean, maybe 20 of us. But they found uh they found like one guy trying to spray paint on the freeway and they mm-hmm. they stopped him. But it was it was cool. I was it was it was pouring down rain, so I was like out here wow. playing in the yeah. rain and stuff. <laughs> I was just joking around the whole time and you know, I, I did the chance and we, we marched with the people and that was pretty cool.
1: I definitely want to give you an opportunity to promote anything you want to promote, right? Social media, businesses, causes on anything you want to spread the love. But, uh, I just want to extend that invitation to you, but also give you an opportunity to dip out. Cause I understand maybe you don't yeah, want to spend yeah, for sure. two hours um, with us.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, obviously my Instagram and Twitter are both chosen one 285. <laughs> um, you can see anything that uh, you know that I hold near and dear. I'll, I'll be talking about uh, more so on Twitter than Instagram, really. But uh, you know, I'm gonna start posting different organizations that, or different businesses, small businesses that have been affected by not only COVID but by the riots, by looters and, and, and things like that, and try and get those guys, uh, you know, do fundraising for them. So I don't have a, a list of names yet. It's something I got to do some research on first, but. Yeah, every few days on my social media. Once I get that list, I'll be alternating and and cycling those names out. So if you're looking to help out and and rebuilding and recovering from these tragedies, uh, give my pages a follow.
1: Yeah, man. Hi. Thank you, bro. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. And that is it for Extra MMA episode number thirty nine. Follow the show on Instagram at Extra Athletics. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. At Andrew underscore the hut with two T's. You can follow Cena at Extra Cena on Twitter, at Extra period Cena on Instagram. And remember, if you're just listening to the audio, please make sure to follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave a five star review, talk about how cool it was we got Juan Adams to be interviewed with us. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, like the video, leave a comment, hit the bell so you're notified every time we drop a video. If you've been watching live on Twitch, Wait a minute you couldn't have been because we recorded this so we record this show live every sunday at noon on twitch.tv forward slash extra cena so come in hang out with us interact with the show follow the show drop a subscription give us your five dollars and most importantly if you don't want to give us your five dollars which i understand considering we're in a pandemic please remember tell a friend tell two friends if you tell two friends and they tell two friends well As you all know, this show will grow exponentially. And that's it. Extra MMA. Another week, another dollar. Love you all.